Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With this WWE Draft Reaction Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, and we are here to talk all things WWE Draft. We are going to recap all, I guess, three days, technically, of the draft, Friday, Saturday, and Monday, SmackDown, Talking Smack, Raw and Raw Talk. There were picks all over the place. A ton of people change brands, and the Silver King and Vintage Chris Vanini are here to break it all down for you. Of course, we will also talk about everything else that happened this week across SmackDown and Raw. So we have, as you can tell, a loaded show for you today, and we are not going to waste a lot of time here on top. A reminder that getting over... So please do us a favor. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and please leave a five-star rating and review to let people know how much you love this podcast. Those ratings, the reviews, they help us so much and they don't take almost any of your time. Seriously, you can do it in under 60 seconds. Please leave a rating and review and make sure it is five stars for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We do live shows before pay-per-views. We tweet during every major uh, American wrestling television show, the four big ones at least. Um, and hey, you know, we're, we're sending out news and, and funny things and our commentary on wrestling all week long. So please do not forget to follow us at Getting Overcast. Oh yeah, also episode releases. Every time we post a new episode, First thing I do is tweet it. So please make sure to follow us on Twitter. Now we have a large show. Like I said, we're going to give you full analysis, a full reaction to the WWE draft. We're going to talk about everything that happened on SmackDown and Raw, but I would be remiss if we first do not go back to last week's mock WWE draft episode where Chris and I took our time, drafted separate rosters across SmackDown and Raw. I unfortunately got saddled with Raw, but I did have the number one overall pick because Chris decided he wanted the back-to-back picks. Uh, And we broke it down. We're not going to go over the rosters again. Uh, You guys already saw them or heard them, I should say. And if you didn't hear them on the podcast for whatever reason, if you're one of those people, hopefully you saw it on our Twitter account because I did post the entire rosters on Monday along with a poll of who had the best mock draft, the Silver King or Vintage. And to my absolute shock, You guys actually voted that Chris had the better mock draft 60-40 to me. So, I mean, that's that's a a significant margin as far as I'm concerned. And I got to say, I'm looking at the draft again. I'm looking at this uh, little screenshot that I took. I think you're giving him extra credit for the champions that he has on his roster. Because I do not see how you look at those 14 rounds of picks and say that Vintage has a better team than me. now. I I was a little uh, dissuaded because so many of you responded to the poll, which was great. I was very happy that you voted, but I didn't get really comments. If you're not going to vote for me, I want to know why. Because again, a roster that starts out with Finn Balor, Brock Lesnar, Sasha Banks, AJ Styles, Seth Rollins as your first five picks, and then also has Edge and Asuka and Tony Storm, etc. reunites the bar. You're going to lose that to... A Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley staying together. 
with Kevin Owens. Bailey's not even competing right now. The guy goes, he's a wedge driver. He splits up the new day. You're voting for that. You're voting for wedge driving. What is wrong with you guys? I have to say, I agree. I, I couldn't believe the results either in, in that. I can't believe I only won 60-40, man. <laughs> this wasn't even close. And I'm glad right. the Mine people... was far better. You're right. It wasn't I, I, I'm was glad. Better. I'm glad the getting overheads uh, came around and, and understood who had the better roster. And frankly, we'll get into it here. Um, I think you and I drafted better rosters than actual WWE put together. In its most recent oh, we definitely draft. did that. There's no question yeah, about that. yeah, but um, had uh had a lot of fun doing that extra episode with the draft. Uh, appreciate everybody who listened to it and, and voted on it. It was a fun little exercise. Second time we've done that, um, and uh, and the rightful winner came out on top. So appreciate everybody. Yeah, that is Chris most certainly uh, debatable. The other thing we'll talk about briefly uh, before we get into the draft itself. Let's talk about the process and what they did right on the show, because we don't really have another opportunity to do that. Positives and negatives for me. The first is simplifying it and doing two picks and two picks was, I thought, better than doing three and two. You know, they were able to give the additional talent that they needed to to Raw on those extra shows on Talking Smack and Raw Talk. I thought that was smart. I thought having Adam Pierce representing one show and Sonya Deville representing the other show, I believe Pierce the entire time was Raw and Deville was SmackDown. Um, again, I thought that was smart too, but yep. also having them stand next to each other, I didn't like. I kind of wish they were on opposite sides of the stage. Again, I wish they were conferring with other people. I, I wish that you saw Pierce on the phone and Sonia maybe talking to Stephanie or, you know, the Fox vice president. Maybe there's even a bottom, like a little bottom third graphic that says on the phone, uh, Sonya Deville with Fox War Room or something like that, right? Like, I'm glad they didn't show us the War Rooms they did from 2019. Those were incredibly corny and stupid. But at the, And they didn't prove it. They gave the draft more formally like you would get in a sports draft. That was positive. But there were just those couple elements that could have taken it over the top from acceptable to very good. And they just didn't hammer those home. Another thing, just to clarify, would be reactions. We got them yes. on SmackDown. We got a few of them on SmackDown. We only got one reaction on Raw. It was Carmella, who basically repeated exactly what Sonya Deville said or, or Adam Pierce said. They said, we're drafting the most beautiful woman in WWE, Carmella. And they go to Carmella and she goes, uh, I, Carmella, the most beautiful woman in WWE, am excited to be on Raw. That was literally her promo. So well, like, yeah. it, it, was, it, was just, it was just all these little elements, right? where we talked about it ahead of time, what could make the draft good as opposed to okay or bad? They made it okay. They definitely, it was the best draft of the last three years in terms of presentation. No question about it. But they're still missing all of those elements that can really take it over the top and make you as a viewer excited. I thought the format was maybe the best they've done. Like you said, the the two and two, uh, the way they spread it out over over two nights, Pearson Deville handling it, it, it all worked. I think the presentation really, really lacked anything interesting. You, you said we didn't get any reactions on Raw. We did get reactions on Raw, but the problem was the reaction was just somebody looking off in the distance and making a weird face. 
Like, right, there was no promo. Like Drew McIntyre cut a promo on SmackDown, right. that, saying, that, "I'm happy to be here. I can't wait to go after the Universal title." Right. You and know? we get Bobby Lashley like taking off his sunglasses and smiling and looking off in the distance. I was like, "What?" I was like, "What the heck was that?" And then they do that the whole rest of the show. You got Damian Priest just like nodding his head and smiling, looking off in the distance. I'm. What was the point of that? Like, right. it, I, And I want to know why it was different from SmackDown. Why did they go from deliver a a three line promo to just look off in the distance while a camera's on you. Especially when you have another hour of TV time to actually do yeah. those things. Both of them were weird. I, I we, I get, I, we figured they weren't going to do it, but we talked last week about recreate that first draft where everybody's sitting in a back room. Picks are made and oh, you're back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. From yeah. 2002 and you get reactions of the people backstage as it happens now we didn't want it to be a shoot we wanted you know it, it can be a, a work and whatever but have everybody together react when someone gets drafted someone can be happy or sad or whatever that they're drafted you can have other people upset that they're not getting picked ahead of this person or something like that there's so many just ways to do natural reactions and inter interactions to the stuff instead they just overloaded the wwization of it which yeah. is Staring off in the distance and smiling for like five seconds. Super and, weird and unnecessary. And you don't even need everyone honestly sitting in a room watching a, a screen, a TV. You could literally just have show it. You could just show the backstage area, which by the way, WWE like is going away from showing the backstage area largely, not completely, but as much as they used to back in the day. But you could just show people from Raw and SmackDown interacting where you're like, oh, wow, he's there. That's cool. He's in the pool tonight. Like, you don't have to blatantly show everyone watching the draft. You want us to know that both rosters are there. There's representatives of both rosters there. And things are happening in the backstage area. An actual good example is what they did with the 24-7 scene. Now, it wasn't yeah. a good segment, of course. But you have Apollo Crews show up with Commander Aziz. And you know they got drafted to Raw. You know, um, I think it was on Talking Smack they did. But you know they're there. And, oh, wow, well, maybe it's not going to be fun in games for Reggie anymore, right? Like, just numerous things like that happening over the course of the show is perfectly acceptable. It's really all you need. But they just didn't do those things. They were, it almost seemed like WWE was so worried that if they went too deep on the draft, fans wouldn't be entertained. And I know you do have paying customers in the arena, and I do know those customers want wrestling. And to be fair, WWE booked some really interesting, fun matches for fans across both shows on Friday and Monday. But none of them were really storyline relevant for the most part. And because the rosters are getting delayed, they're not changing until October 22nd, the day after Blood Money in the Sand 6. You have this weird two-week waiting period where, on one hand, some feuds are going to be able to get wrapped up. That's great. But on the other you have people changing brands together and those feuds are maybe not going to get wrapped up. So I want to break these rosters down. I want to break the draft down. But before I get into like the the actual analysis of the picks and, and the divisions, is there anything else you wanted to add before we get to that? Yeah, the, the, the two weeks of limbo is a bit weird, though I, I understand the idea of it. I just think this whole thing felt kind of... I don't want to say rushed because they actually did announce it a couple weeks ahead of time, but but we kept hearing it was going to happen in September, then it was going to happen later, and it kept getting pushed back. 
and, and the end result was it didn't feel like a big deal, the, the draft, like when it was done, because we didn't get a ton of the major interactions we want to have other than, I guess, in the women's division. Um, but it ultimately just felt, I think, a little uh, anticlimactic. And we're not even going to get the real fallout from it for three weeks. So it's just it's kind of a weird feeling. Coming yeah, I think what I would have liked to have happened is, first of all, not to do it around Crown Jewel and not to do it so close to Survivor Series, of course. But I do like the idea of doing the draft and then having one episode each of SmackDown and Raw for feuds to wrap up. You, you brand them something, right? You, you create a special yes. show. You have two special draft shows and then two special, the last chance SmackDown, the last chance Raw, something I like that. And you, and you complete the feuds. You have Edge versus Seth Rollins one more time. You know, uh, hell, if, if this was still going on, uh, you do Big E versus Apollo Crews one last time, right? Um, you do the, I mean, we got it anyway, but the United States Championship, Damian Priest against Jeff Hardy against Sheamus, you do that one more time. Like, it's okay. You do a, it's, it's, WWE should love the idea. It's a rematch show, basically. But you do it once more, and maybe there's one or two title changes. Maybe nothing changes, but the, all the faces get over, or most of the faces get over. Um, or a heel wins and a face gets a character change because of it as he switches to a new brand. There are so many different things you could do if you did that format. And then that actually creates three straight weeks of special episodes because you get the draft for one week, the last chance for the next week, and then the debut of the new rosters for the third week. Yeah. Now we're basically just kind of saying, okay, the next two weeks, we're just going to kind of hold shit over until Crown Jewel happens. And then things are going to be different immediately the next day. And by the way, they're going from Thursday in Saudi Arabia to Friday night SmackDown in the United States. How the hell are they going to do that? And is no one quarantining? Like they're going overseas. I I, I don't know. This is all, I don't know how they're doing any of this. It's, uh, I, hope th- I hope they don't have any plane trouble again. <laughs> right. Like, oh my God. Then like all of a sudden Triple H comes back, NXT's back. You have Braun Breaker on SmackDown. Oh my <laughs> yeah. God, it'd be wild. All right, but, look. No, I, I like, real quick. I like your idea of brand more of these shows as special Raws and SmackDown. I mean, they, they they hyped up and basically branded SmackDown from Madison Square Garden and it just, it did better. We've seen AEW do, does that with, with Dynamites. NXT did it with Great American Bash. Like, like and, and you did it here with the draft kind of, but yeah, do Last Chance SmackDown and Last Chance Raw and that gives you a reason to look forward to the next week and then the week after that with the new Raw. So I think that's a great idea. AEW way overdoes it. WWE way underdoes it where it's almost, it never happens unless it's like an old school Raw or a draft episode or something like right. that. NXT, now I don't know if it's going to still be this way with the new NXT. They actually do it pretty well. They pick like four spots a year and do special episodes. It, it could probably be more than that, right? I think once a month, you could probably have a special TV episode. Yeah. But they just don't do it. So, okay, look, that was our overall preview, but let's get into the nitty gritty, the meat on the bones. Let's get into the main event. Now we're going to provide WWE draft reaction and we're going to break it down division by division. So Chris, I want to start with the women. We should always start with the women, but I want to start with them here because I want to start on a positive. As far as I'm concerned, 
This was easily the best handled division in the entire draft. The talent is split evenly. And not only that, there's a semi-even mix of new and returning names on both shows, which is not the case for the men's division and not the case for the tag team division either. We're set up for people to get main event opportunities potentially who have not had those chances yet, particularly on Raw, where right now Alexa Bliss and Nia Jax, as far as we know, are out indefinitely. So we do have Bailey and Asuka who are not drafted. They're recovering from injury. So WWE can insert either or both of them on whatever brand they want as storylines dictate or whatever they need at any given time. But right off the bat, and I have a number of notes here, I really like how these divisions are formulated where you have on Raw, for example, you don't have a lot of main event women, but you do have Liv Morgan, who you know fans like. You do have Carmella, who we've seen get main event opportunities on SmackDown. And then we have like Tegan Knox and Mia Yim and Dana Brooke and Dewdrop, who we're all kind of hoping get some opportunities. And then the same thing goes over on SmackDown, where you do have your Sasha Banks, but that's really it. Like Shayna Baszler hasn't gotten the opportunities we want. She's there now. Shotzi Blackheart, same situation as Tegan Knox. Tony Storm, they introduced her. She hasn't been on television. And Naomi, everyone wants to get more opportunities than she usually gets. So by splitting them up, And by dividing the rosters the way they did, I thought they did a huge positive service to the women's division. Yeah, overall, top to bottom, the rosters are pretty even. And and there's a good mix of new matchups. We we no longer have Rhea Ripley and Charlotte together and and, and Nikki together. Um, And it's a good... I mean, Raw's got Asuka, Becky, Bianca, Rhea. That's a heck of a top four. Well, Asuka's nowhere. Asuka's undrafted right now. Oh, is she? Oh, she's the yeah. I'm I'm looking at uh, the Wikipedia roster page. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. All right. Taking off Asuka. But uh, I'll keep, Alexa talking, Bl- keep talking. I'll send you a better. Uh, a better but, but Alexa Bliss, too. Um, so, yeah. And it really highlights just just how talented the women's division is at WWE and just how far ahead it is of every women's wrestling roster in the world, essentially. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of good coming out of it on, on both. Well, I, I don't know if now's the time to bring it up or not, but there's also there's an issue with the tag teams of the women's division. We can that get to that there, next. Yeah. Go in on. that there are no tag teams. There's not. Ex- yeah. Except for the champions. Yeah. So I don't know what that means. But for, from a singles perspective, um, I'm excited for the women's uh, moving forward, especially after what has been a brutal number of weeks in terms of in-ring time. Hopefully this is kind of an opportunity for a reset. Well, that's what hurts with the, with the women's tag team division. And we can talk about that now. I was going to save the pain point for the end because I want it to be positive. But there's, like you said, there's literally zero established women's tag teams aside from the champions, including Shotzi and Knox, who beat the champions, the former champions, three times, never got a title match, and now got split. And by the way, they were working really well together. Now, I do think it's interesting that Dakota Kai has not been used on NXT television because I thought no matter what, she was going to get drafted on one of the two shows. And there is a scenario in which you could reunite Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox, they were former tag team partners, except, and form, you know, friends really more on screen than tag team partners, but one's a heel and one's a face. So how are you going to do that? And Tegan Knox doesn't really go heel. So that is interesting. 
I do think also there's some obvious moves they can make. For example, they can take Carmella and Zelina Vega and make them a tag team. It was kind of already happening on SmackDown. You saw Dewdrop come out and save Dana Brooke on Raw. That could work as a tag team. But are those exciting teams? What are we actually doing here in the women's tag team division? It didn't make sense for WWE to cut like, you know, the Iconics and uh, other women from the roster where they had the opportunity to kind of step up and fill out a second division. It just kind of shows, first of all, I'm okay with the titles existing, but there should only be one set. The NXT title should not exist. They should just be able to rotate based on whatever brand has the storyline need for it at a given time. But these tag team titles, they're kind of shitty. And there's been occasions, periods of time in which they've worked out and been been good, but largely for for the majority of their existence. The roster... Is it deep enough? Yes, but WWE refuses to establish tag teams. Correct. And even when they do, there's only two or three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think about the history of the belts, the only real tag team to have them was the Iconics. I mean, Sasha and Bailey had them, but that was also kind of tied into... No, they're totally a real team, and the Kabuki yeah, Warriors I mean, are a start... real team too. <laughs> oh, yeah, Kabuki Warriors, yes, to- absolutely. That that That's two for sure. But, but Sasha and Bailey was always more of two singles people put together. And I think the second time they had them, it was essentially part of the storyline where they had multiple belts. And that was kind of the issue with them for a while. And Natalia and Tamina had them since WrestleMania and never defended them or defended them once. Very rarely. Until they, until they lost hurt. them. Entirely yeah, hurt. well, she got hurt for like a month. They, they still didn't do anything other than that. But basically, yeah, just either do something with them or don't because right now it feels like WWE doesn't want to do it. And so now you've got Rhea and Nikki kind of floundering out there as they don't really have a challenger now. And you got to do something with this. So put some teams together or something or, or, or what, or get rid of them. And then of course we would be remiss not to mention, uh, I'm actually surprised I'd saved it for uh, this spot here. But we saw the champions switch brands, which is what they did with the tag team titles last year. Uh, It was sloppily handled in 2020 with the four guys, New Day and Street Profits, literally just exchanging titles backstage, handing each other the championships. But I'm not actually sure if that's worse than hot shotting, changing the championships with new people winning like they did two years ago, I think, with the mid-card titles. So you could say, okay, don't make the champions draftable. But that would require WWE having foresight and considering it's booking months in advance, we know that's a struggle for them. Drafting both Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair to Raw, while both moving brands actually makes complete sense, but it also means that feud is kind of nowhere close to being over. And I'm going to anticipate Bianca eventually beating Becky for the title, maybe at a major pay-per-view. I'm not exactly sure when, but I think that eventually is going to happen. They could also potentially use this crown jewel match as a way for Bianca to pin Sasha again, um, take the title without Becky being pinned and knowing that Sasha's not going to be able to get retribution given that she's on SmackDown. So there are a lot of different ways that they can handle it. But I don't know if exchanging the titles is any worse than hot shotting changes. At the same time, All that WWE really needs to do, all that any company would need to do if you're drafting, 
is make sure the titles change hands far enough advance where the people you want are going to be the champions on those shows and you make them undraftable, just like we did in our mock draft. The champions should not be able to get drafted. Yes. Or, and I've thought this from the beginning, just change the name of the of the women's championships. They should just absolutely have the, do that. Just have the women's championship and the women's universal championship. I mean, we have that on Ron SmackDown already. They have changed sides before, and when it changes, it, the belt changes colors, and it's fine. Like, the only problem is it would get confusing if, for example, on SmackDown, you have the universal champion yeah. and the WWE women's champion, and then over on Raw... Sure. You have the WWE champion and the Universal Women's champion. So then give it, then give it another name. It doesn't have to be Universal. I, I don't know. But, but it, it, no. But it should be that though. No. Yeah. It, you're right though. It, it should be like the Universal and the WWE, and they're on the same brand as the men's titles, and they stay on those brands. And if you want to draft people, then you change the title. You know, four to six weeks earlier before the draft. Yeah, and this goes for tag teams too. I mean, the the, the first time they did all the brands, but they had the WWE championships and the World. Tag Team Championships, the World Heavyweight Championship, and they just moved sometimes. And it just, it makes the lineage a lot easier. It doesn't put you in these positions where you feel like you have to move titles around because of the name of the belt and the show you're on. <laughs> so just right. like, just it, that would solve all, that would solve the problem, really. It would. Uh, one other thing, just really quick. I really did like that they had Sonya Deville announce Naomi as a SmackDown draft pick because she was so pissed. And yes. deadpanned it, and she knew there was nothing she could do. <laughs> so that was like one of my highlights, actually, of the entire draft. And this Naomi and Sonya Deville storyline, it's really working for me, I do have to say. It's really hot. It, yeah. It's got a lot of uh, people into it. And um, I think I said this last week, but just pull, you got to pull the trigger at some point. It, it can't go on too long. Um, you got to kind of land this plane. So I, I hope they get moving on it so, sooner than later. Okay, so let's move to the tag team division, which is basically men's based right now. Uh, I have no idea what WWE was doing here. Okay. First of all, there's fewer tag teams on Raw than SmackDown, which is just on its own insane given the length of the show. And one thing we were talking about recently that was actually a bright spot for Raw, even when it was really bad. And the last month for Raw, let's be honest, has been good. Okay. But the nine months prior were terrible. The one like shining factor was they had a lot of tag teams they were establishing them and they were using them. And that was a positive. Uh, but they also basically, if you look at this, and Chris, now the thing that you have, hopefully you can see it a little bit better. I, I do have it open. Yeah. They, they basically switched every tag team on both brands. <laughs> yeah. so, so there's no established tag teams returning to SmackDown other than the champions, the Usos. Now, Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss, this new team, it seems like they're going to be a team. Um, technically, they're all staying on SmackDown, but they've only existed for like a week at this point. All five other tag teams on SmackDown, six, if you include Hit Row, we'll talk about that later, are all from Raw, Hit Row from NXT. But the other five are all from Raw. So you basically just took five Raw tag teams, moved them to SmackDown, and then they took four SmackDown tag teams and moved them to Raw. Yep. So all these feuds that we've been seeing, these mid-card and low-card feuds, Mustafa Ali and Mansoor against Humberto Creo and Angel Garza, we've just seen it for two weeks in a row. Both of them are on SmackDown. We saw for like two months the Mysterios against Alpha Academy. All four of them are now on Raw. And okay, I guess with Raw, there are three returning tag teams. So 
There's a little bit more of a mix-up with RK-Bro, AJ Styles, and Omos, Shelton Benjamin, and Cedric Alexander, which is a reunited but still familiar tag team. But RK-Bro, when they lose the titles, they're going to break up as singles. You have to believe AJ Styles are going to use in a singles capacity sooner than later. So now you're basically down to five tag teams on Raw, four of which came over from SmackDown. So I don't know why they do this to themselves. The whole point of the draft is to create fresh new matches and and get rid of the stale shit. Changing shows doesn't do that. If you have 20 tag teams, right? You keep five on each brand and you switch five. And now you have a, you know, they don't have 20 tag teams, I'm just saying. But then you have an equal distribution of people staying on the brand and new matchups. Instead, they get into a situation where, again, talking about SmackDown, they have seven tag teams. Five of them are new from, and all of them are coming from Raw. That's three quarters, basically. Yeah, and that's... That's always the thing I hate most with the draft is when a long story just changes shows and it continues. Like we got this with the Mysterios last time. Yeah. With, with the Mysterios and Seth Rollins moved from Raw to SmackDown, I think. And it just continues. <laughs> and that's not appealing. I mean, I like that the New Day and the Usos will be together and, you know, something will happen from there. But, you know, are we just going to get Ali and Mansoor against Carrillo and Garza for three more weeks on SmackDown now instead of Raw, you would think that's the kind of thing that would get cut going from Raw to SmackDown when you have a hour shorter show. And then the other thing, this kind of goes back to how the draft played out. Corbin and Madcap Moss were drafted ahead of the women's tag team champs, which just seems like the order of the draft and who was drafted and not drafted, I... Very, I have many issues with. I, I feel like the draft is an opportunity to, you know, like if there's a surprising pick, then I need someone to explain to me why this was, why this happened. Oh, they real, they're really high on this person who they think is underrated. Like it's a chance to like build somebody up and be like, like why, why the heck is Corbin Madcap always getting drafted so high? I, well, I, I don't know. Like explain why these people or should be drafted higher than maybe other people. Uh, no, it's a, it's Wolf a great point. Why are, why are Umberto Carrillo and Angel Garza getting picked in the fifth round when Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode are undrafted and get assigned exactly. to a brand on Raw Talk? Exactly. You got a former world champion and the former NXT champion, both multi-time mid-card, multi-time tag team champions. Why are they being picked on Raw Talk? Why is the it, it, Miz, yes. who was WWE champion this year, okay, why is he being selected on Raw Talk and not ahead of, Zia Lee, right? Yep. So yes, no, you're right. That is a huge issue. And and to your point, if you are drafting people, whether it's from NXT or lower card, mid card people from the other brand who haven't really gotten an opportunity, explain why. Have someone say, wow, this is a great pickup. Let me explain why SmackDown probably did this. Yes. And you give that explanation. They don't do that. It, right. it just doesn't, you're right. It doesn't make sense for Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss to be selected before Keith Lee or Ray and Dominic Mysterio, right? Mm-hmm. Ray freaking Mysterio, you know? Um, and that type of stuff. Or Apollo Crews, who went undrafted and, and was picked on Talking Smack despite being Intercontinental Champion for like months upon months on end. Yeah, because it, that's where, again, like you have to treat these characters as 
people and as not athletes, as, yes, and, and, yeah. and not as brands essentially. Like most of WWE, like for all the talk about WWE versus AEW, WWE wants to create characters. They don't really create characters. They create caricatures that are more like brands. Someone has to have a certain personality and do a thing, and that's the only thing that they do. And so we don't get to know them deeper. We just know they're they're a thing and that's what they are. And that's it. Instead of yep. being like, hey, we, we we you know, Keith Keith Lee fell in the draft or something. He's gonna be really upset about that or, or something like that. Like build some character work out of this draft, which is again why I feel like this draft ultimately felt anticlimactic where it was just things happened and that was it and we didn't get we didn't get much depth to it. But we kind of went off track here. With 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 the men's tag teams you're right. All the raw, t- almost all the raw tag teams moving to SmackDown, SmackDown to Raw. Not, I'm not super excited about that. Basically, in the end. No, yeah, me neither. I, I will say one thing: uh, Keith Lee being a third round pick made me feel good. And for people who are concerned that they're going to ruin him or, or have been ruining him, or they don't have any desire to see him succeed, I mean, I, and it's not to say everyone who's drafted high is going to be treated great. But I mean, you're picking him in, in the third round and you're featuring him um, early on the first night of the draft, they want Keith Lee to succeed. I mean, I, I don't know why they wouldn't. Uh, the right. one thing I did want to give WWE a shred of credit with a caveat for is they actually did a good job, despite teasing us and scaring us, not splitting up a lot of tag teams. They did, yes. unfortunately, split up both other women's tag teams, which was ridiculous. But as far as the men go, the only one that fully got broken up was Mason T-Bar. Now, I've said this t- on this podcast numerous times. I actually wanted them to stay together, but I just wanted them to change their gimmicks because they could work and they actually were working together as a team. But at least they're going to get a chance to shine as individuals now. And hopefully, just like with Shane Thorne, although we haven't seen Shane on TV, hopefully they're at least given an opportunity to change their gimmicks as individuals. And at least T-Bar, maybe go back to being Dijak, would be nice. The only other men's teams that were split, Veer got taken away from Jinder Mahal and Shanky, which who really cares about that? But I've actually talked on this podcast about Veer being the most impressive of the three. So him getting a chance to shine on his own and Mahal and Shanky being able to stay together as a tag team, I actually thought that was pretty cool. And of course, the one that hurts, the one that stings, New Day being split from Biggie completely unnecessarily. It just hurts. WWE knows fans actively don't want this. And yet, even though they know Big E can get over as a singles champion with New Day behind him, they refuse to let it happen. It's exactly the same as what happened with Bobby Lashley. As soon as he won the title or was about to win the title, they got rid of her business because they wanted him to stand on his own. Because for some reason in WWE, main event faces can't have friends. Yep. And, and, and by the way, Lashley was a heel. But main eventers who are champions these days for some reason can't have friends. They can't have backup. Like, think about how boring Triple H's title run would have been if he didn't have evolution behind yeah. him. Or yeah, Hulk Hogan DX, without the NWO. Yeah, or D- or yeah, right. Or DX. Hulk Hogan without the NWO for all those years. It, I don't get why WWE hates groups and factions so much, but they will only allow them seemingly to exist when someone is not a... WWE or Universal Champion, despite, by the way, the bloodline doing just fine over on SmackDown. 
you would think the success of the New Day and the success of the Bloodline would be like, hey, let's do more of those. And the let's, fans loving the Hurt Business and being mad when they were broken yes, up. Yes, like, yes, AEW goes overboard with factions, but we generally love factions or teams here. New Day and Hurt Business are not, well, Hurt Business, I don't know. New Day is not a team there. Hurt Business is a faction. I'm sorry, New Day, New is, Day a team, is a group, not a faction. Yeah, New Day is a group and four. the Mahal thing was a group also. Yeah. Gotta have four to be a faction. Four plus, yes. So, but like, that's how you sell shirts. That's how you get people really into stuff. So, you know, they did this last time. They split Biggie off, but then he comes back with the New Day and wins the title finally. And now they're split up again. And I'll say this what I said last time. If New Day are going to be split up from Big E, they probably need a new song of some kind or just don't have the Big E entrance part. Um, which I think they might have had, they might have cut it for a little bit, but Biggie, I'm sorry, Xavier and Kofi by themselves have never quite gotten to that same level to, to me just as a team without Biggie around. Now they're going to go do this a second time. You know, matches with the Usos will be great, but it always feels like something's missing when, when, when Biggie's not there. It does. And the concern, of course, is that what happens to Kofi happens to Big E, which is when once he loses the title, throw him back in the group. And that's what they do. Right. He doesn't yeah. become a standard main eventer. But I hope I mean, he technically, does. that's what technically it's what they just did with, with Lashley, too. Uh, yes, technically, although obviously her business is not as established as New Day yeah, over sure. a period of time. But yes, no, you're right. It, that is what they did. So, you know, we're going to see how this all kind of transpires regarding the teams. It did hurt for, to see New Day broken up. It just it was it was so unnecessary. It just they don't need to be on that show. And again, when you're talking about how many teams changed brands, that's if they didn't do that, they could have kept another SmackDown team on SmackDown. And and the complaint that we had earlier would have been le- lessened. Maybe I don't even say it because there's enough teams, you know, that are mm-hmm. staying there. Uh, so that was all really frustrating. But what's frustrating most of all, at least as far as I'm concerned, is the men's singles division and the drafting. Because we talked about it coming in. SmackDown was loaded, right? And every person, it seemed like, who came back, with the exception of Goldberg and the exception of Keith Lee when he eventually returned from the health issues, every other person was on SmackDown. And it was too big. And there was too much going on. But that doesn't mean that you need to decimate the entire brand. And that's what WWE did in this draft. WWE treated SmackDown in this draft from the men's single side like it treated Raw in the last draft. And these things don't compute and they don't make sense. SmackDown, as of right now, has 11 men's singles wrestlers, 12 if you include Rick Boogs with Shinsuke Nakamura, and two of the four, grand total of four people who stayed on the brand were already champions in Roman Reigns and Shinsuke Nakamura. Raw, on the other hand, has 21 singles wrestlers, 23 including managers and people that are with, you know, other wrestlers, with 14 staying on the brand. So again, those numbers, four and 14. So they changed most of the SmackDown men's roster, but they didn't give them enough wrestlers or enough big names. This draft proved to me that WWE was not thinking ahead when it came to cutting the likes of Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt, because they have created a dearth 
of main event performers, not for WWE in totality, but to split across two brands. They have more than enough for one. They don't have enough for two. And losing guys like that is really the reason why, because imagine if you just added two more names over to SmackDown. Again, this would be a conversation that we're not having, but that's the situation that we're in right now. Yep. Put put Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt on SmackDown. Things look a lot different. Put put Aleister Black and Bray Wyatt on SmackDown. Andrade. A, a lot different. Uh, Rusev. I, I, Rusev, yes. I wouldn't say Andrade. I'm just naming names. names. I'm just yes. saying. These are people. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. That's a great point. Going back to the number of cuts they've had this year. And it, it, it's very clear. I mean, like you and I drafted, you know, our, 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 our rosters last week. And some people commented that I was lacking enough main eventers. And that's simply because there just aren't enough for two brands. Because I took uh, a lot of them, which is my, why my mock draft was better. But OK, uh, no, but, no, but, no, but it's true. It. But it's true. It <laughs> happened in our mock draft. I yeah. focused because I did not have Roman Reigns. I focused on taking men's single stars that could bolster up my roster. And because I focused so much on them, you kind of got lost in the lurch. But you took a lot of tag teams and I wasn't able to get those. But the same thing happened in this draft, except the difference is WWE had the opportunity to plan this out. Yeah. That, like, I, I, I would be fascinated to know when they determined what the draft results would be. I mean, given how often the show changes, given how cuts blindsided everybody, even some people who recently signed extensions, um, you you wonder at, at what point did they come up with these rosters and how close to the actual draft was it and how how little foresight was put into put into it because that's what these rosters look like they have so many people on Raw, Raw has Biggie Lashley Keithley uh, Rollins Damian, Damian Priest Rollins, Rollins, Rollins Balor Rollins, Edge Owens yeah, yeah. Like, what I mean that's that's good. Like I, I, I'm also curious if USA has been really upset that Fox has been getting all the shine. And oh, I'm sure they are. This, right. So I'm just like, how, how does WWE balance that? We're never really going to know. But man, this is so incredibly one sided to Raw. I'm just really surprised. It's an overcorrection, and like yeah. you would think, okay, maybe that's the case for Raw. But Friday on SmackDown or on the 22nd, all of a sudden. Three NXT names are introduced. Johnny Gargano and Pete Dunne get called up, and like, like, so there's like a, a free agency period where all of a sudden they get stacked, or or maybe there's someone that wasn't drafted that you know we'd be thinking about who comes back to WWE, and you're like, oh my god, now it all makes sense. Elias is, is one example of a person who was not drafted who they could add, but Elias is not a main eventer, right? So it was just so uneven. I, I was shocked to see how they did that. When it's, I mean, look, we love women's wrestling. We like tag team wrestling. Men's singles is the most important division in wrestling. It just is. It's historically what has drawn the most. And it's what WWE and AEW, everyone really prides themselves on. And for it to be this uneven and for the A show, SmackDown, to be the one with the dearth of depth is absolutely insane to me. And what's even crazier is, I'm going to talk about more about this in a moment, Chris, but a lot of times you'll see tag teams and you say, well, if they break up that tag team, there's two huge singles names that SmackDown would be fine with. All of those teams are on Raw. RK-Bro 
two single stars, Raw. AJ Styles and Omos, two single stars on Raw. If you eventually, God forbid, we're going to break up Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode, two single stars on Raw. They don't have that on SmackDown. SmackDown SmackDown has two main eventers. They have Roman and Drew. That's it. I mean, Hardy and Sheamus can fill in. I'm sorry, men, Hardy and Sheamus can fill in. Cesaro can main event, Nakamura he, can main event, but they're not they, the they, caliber they, they can main of event, Randy they can, Orton. Yes. They can main event yes. a show. They can't main event a pay-per-view. She, Sheamus, maybe. But other than that, it's just Drew and Roman. And Cesaro did happened, main event a pay-per-view. He did one, and he's barely been on TV since. <laughs> I'm, just saying he, so, I'm, just saying they, I'm just saying they can. But, but, but you're right. Look at the Raw side. Rollins, Balor, Owens. Lashley, Keith Lee, Big E, and again, in the tag teams, Riddle, Orton, AJ Styles, Dolph Ziggler obviously can always get thrown into a main event spot. That is stacked by comparison. So they didn't just make a correction, which they needed to make a correction. They overcorrected, and that's a major problem, and I have no idea what the hell they are going to do. Let's keep going because I have a couple more points to talk about with the men, a lot of points actually, and I think we're going to cover a lot of our other things we want to talk about. Just like last year, we mentioned this earlier, where they drafted the Mysterios, Seth Rollins and Murphy all over to SmackDown, basically continuing a feud that had long run its course already over on Raw. They did the same thing this year with Rollins and Edge. Now, the difference is last year, they knew Rollins was going on paternity leave. So they had a finite end to that story and they knew a break was coming. That's not the case here. Now, don't get me wrong. I said for weeks, Edge needed to be on Raw. They needed that star power. They just didn't have it. But all of those Rollins versus Roman Reigns teases, those are now irrelevant unless they turn Seth face and he wins the Royal Rumble or faces Reigns in another way at WrestleMania. And now you have Rollins and Edge on the same brand coming out of what should be the blow-off to their feud at Crown Jewel. And I just am really scared that it's going to keep going for another four months. You mean Rollins and Edge going for four months? Yeah, longer. <sighs> Maybe. I mean, they already, they ended this. <coughs> we thought they, they did. End- yeah. After um, SummerSlam and had a good ending to it. Like they, they cut some promos and I was like, oh, it's actually a good way to kind of just end it. And instead we're back in it. And I'm, I'm very concerned where this is going to go down, especially after what happened on SmackDown, which we'll get into. Um, I think that's a fair concern because because one thing with Rollins is that they've just dragged so many things out with him for too long, for a long time. And kind of like the Corbin thing. So we'll see. I, I hope it's over at Crown Jewel. I hope so, too. If it's not, I mean, it just can't keep going like Rollins and Mysterio. That was crazy. Like, like Ed, Edge comes back. I want to see this dude in the ring with everybody. Instead, he's only he's only been in the ring with Randy Orton. Roman Reigns, Rollins. And Daniel Bryan. And kind of Daniel Bryan. That's it. That's it. Like, I want to see this guy out there with new people all the time. Like, that's the whole point of, that's the whole excitement of him coming back. Not seeing him fight the same people four or five times. And that's one of the reasons why we're so excited about CM Punk over in AEW. It's because he's going to just go through the roster and go through all the young talent. That's what I want for Edge also. Totally. Now, maybe on Raw, look, let's be fair, right? On When he first came back with Orton, they obviously had a long storyline. It went on a little longer than it should have, but Edge also got hurt and they weren't able to finish it, okay? Then, or, or he got hurt after they did finish it. I don't even really know how that was supposed to end. 
I was okay with the longer feud on SmackDown because it did weave in Daniel Bryan and it culminated in a WrestleMania main event. But now, now is when it's a problem. With this going on with Rollins for so long on the backs of those two, now it's an issue. Hopefully, with this Rollins thing ends, he's now on a roster, a Raw roster, that is loaded, absolutely loaded with talent. And hopefully he figures out something to do over there. And by the way, I would not hurt another rated RKO run if uh, Orton turns on Riddle and they break that up eventually. That could be something that's really fun. Uh, Let's keep going, though. Bobby Lashley staying on Raw, to me, is completely nonsensical. I presume because they drafted Hit Row to SmackDown, they didn't want her business there as the only other faction that WWE has right now besides the bloodline. But I 100% would have taken Hit Row and put them on Raw and her business on SmackDown because you want Hit Row to develop. You want them to have, since, since there's so many members, you want them to have more time on screen. Her business doesn't need that as much. So I don't get why they did that. But Lashley on Raw has nothing to go after now because he's been cleanly defeated by Big E twice. He had a six-month championship reign, which was very good. He's about to get beaten by Goldberg over in Saudi Arabia. So what's left for him on Raw? Why would you keep him on this brand when he could be a guy, a legitimately big name for Roman Reigns to beat on this path to destruction. Or maybe he's the guy to take the title offerings. We don't want that. We want him to lose it to someone younger or fresher. No no doubt about it. But there's every reason for Bobby Lashley and the Hurt Business to be on SmackDown. There's truly no reason for them to be on Raw. Well, I mean, there's also the possibility that he is murdered in Saudi Arabia and doesn't come back. We'll, we'll on, get to that. Yes, based so on what Goldberg's been saying. Um, yeah, and this kind of comes back to an issue WWE sometimes has, which is when you have a guy who was a champion and a, and a dominant champion and he's out of the championship feud, what can you do with him to keep him interested? Drew McIntyre, since he's been done with the Lashley stuff, he's been floating around with Jinder doing weird sword things. Like, that's like, can we, we don't trust WWE to figure out what to do with Bobby Lashley that doesn't involve the championship. Like, him and Keith Lee could have a great feud. I, I'd love to see something like that. Some big meaty men bouncing around. Um, th- there's a lot of fun things you could do with them, but you got to make us believe that he's a big deal, even if he's not in the title picture. And that's something they really struggle with. Yeah. And now in a loaded raw roster, uh, even more loaded than it's been, he doesn't stand out as much. And I think that's a problem where you could have had him over on SmackDown. He could have st- stood out. Maybe you even have him take the intercontinental title off Shinsuke Nakamura, and you have two just dominant champions on that brand. Now, that would be a little tough for storytelling purposes because they'd beat everyone and who would really be left. I'm just saying they need another dominant personality on that show. And Bobby Lashley was it. When they decided to, we knew that they were going to move Drew or Bobby or possibly both. I also presume when they, because they wanted to move Drew, they want to set up Drew maybe to be the one to take the title off Roman. That's a possibility. Maybe they don't want Bobby there also because they wanted to split them after they feuded for so long on Raw. But I don't know, man. There was just so many other ways they could have done this. You- and it's frustrating to see like they brought so many people over to Raw. That's great. The people that needed to leave didn't leave. Right. Except for Drew. He was really the only one. And you bring it up. I mean, if Drew is the guy who's going to take the title off of Roman, 
I mean, I love their match in Survivor Series. I'm looking forward to them, but I don't know if that was the guy. I don't think that's the guy anybody wants to do. Well, you don't need to reestablish him because Lesnar already established him. That's one of the that's mm-hmm. one of my pain points with the entire thing. You know, mm-hmm. the way Drew was handled after he won the championship for the first however many months, four or five months, it was really good. And then it quickly declined. And that was really part of the problem. Uh, speaking yeah. of hit row really quick, Swerve, uh, Isaiah Swerve Scott is currently the North American champion in NXT. He's yet to defend the title in three months because things have been going crazy over there. That's obviously a loose end that needs to get tied up. But of course, they did just do the same thing with Kerry and Cross. They had him drop the NXT title. We knew that was coming. Um, still have more notes here. So look, while I'm depressed about the SmackDown singles, all of the people I mentioned that we both mentioned are that are coming over to Raw are already on Raw. Lashley, Edge, Rollins, Big E, Damian Priest, Keith Lee, Finn Balor. We're going to talk about Balor in a moment separately. And Kevin Owens. They're all in what is now a loaded Raw main event scene. So we can hate it for SmackDown. Let's at the same time note, business just picked up for Raw in a major way. The, the booking's been better over the last few weeks. And now we're getting a huge influx of talent where sometimes you kind of sit around and think, hey, if you have that much talent on the show, it can't be worse than it was. And I actually believe that because they're not going to be able to book all of these people simultaneously poorly right over on Raw. Uh, And that's all not to mention, like I said, people in tag teams now who can easily get elevated, as I mentioned before, Orton, Riddle, and Styles. The improvement on Raw, despite it coming, you know, to the detriment of SmackDown, it is noticeable and it's quite welcomed on my side. It it is. I mean, that's, it's good to have a roster that has a ton of people. It's just, again, are they going to give enough people the proper shine? Because WWE so often focuses all of its efforts on the main event and lets everybody kind of dick around and do nothing. Like, look what Kevin Owens did this week on Raw. He came out, didn't cut a promo, stunned Tozawa, and walked back. And, you know, if we're going to get more happy Corbin, Kevin Owens type of Things which also apparently is just not going to get resolved because they split up. No, they or still maybe, got two weeks. They still got two I weeks. I guess they got, they got two yeah. weeks. Sure. Yeah. But like, I, I just, I don't trust WWE to take this loaded roster and make a stacked Monday Night Raw coming out of it. I just, I don't. So maybe they will. You know, we'll see. But that's why my reaction is not, oh, look at all these awesome feuds storylines we can have. It's how are they going to mess up all these awesome storylines we could have? Yeah. Instead, because Raw, because Raw has not earned that that benefit of the doubt. No, they haven't. But again, they are trending in the right direction. I mean, they're we have trending. To, they're, we they're have they're to trending. Fair. Raw has been better the last three or four weeks because they've given us awesome matches. They have not given us awesome stories. And they've given us good story. They've get, for the men. For the men, they've given us good storylines that run through the show. The women's booking has been atrocious. I mean, there's no getting around it. Yeah, yes, th- through the show. Something happens in the beginning, we get it at the end. But yeah. week to week, there's not much going on on Raw right No, now. no. They're, they're trying to fill time and they're trying to go up against Monday Night Football. And I, I do think they're succeeding uh, sure. in providing better content for us. But again, they knew the draft was coming. They knew Crown Jewel was coming. This is the opportunity for reset. Friday, October 22nd is your reset, Right. And that's where we then begin to judge them for what they're giving us going forward. And I will say the last thing about SmackDown, I do have one more point here about Finn Balor before we move on. Despite them lacking in depth, it does technically create the opportunity, again, 
that word opportunity for people to step up and shine and possibly get featured in ways they weren't before. Someone like a Ricochet, who's now over there, fans pop for him massively and clamor for him to do stuff. Sami Zayn, who it always feels like they just refuse to put in that main event spot, even though he's deserving of it from a talent standpoint and from a mic work standpoint. Those guys have that opportunity. Potentially, someone like Ridge Holland, who's still super green, I can't even believe they drafted him over from NXT. Maybe he's someone who develops. If they do put Elias over there, there's this new gimmick supposedly coming for him. We haven't seen him now in three weeks after he did those promos or vignettes for three weeks. Maybe whatever they have planned for Elias, they think is going to be really good. I can't believe or can't imagine that WWE would do this draft and say, let's screw our A-show on Fox that's paying us the most money. So I have to personally believe they have some plans in place that we don't know about, or maybe they see something coming on the horizon based on their booking plans that we don't. But I'll tell you what, if you know these rosters change October 22nd, we're going to know you know, we're not going to know right away because Survivor Series is going to happen and we're going to have a brand versus brand shit going on for another month. But we're going to know before the end of the year whether these rosters are okay or not. Yeah, and and I don't know how involved Heyman is or isn't on SmackDown still. I know him with the Roman and Daniel Bryan stuff was a big role. But, you know, the idea of interesting talent coming over to SmackDown and maybe getting to work with Paul Heyman could be interesting, like a ricochet. I mean, that's how that's how SmackDown built up four tag teams at one time. Yeah, that we got really into. And honestly, one of the most disappointing things to me of this whole draft was Alpha Academy leaving SmackDown for Raw because I have thought they've had a ton of potential. They've been doing a little bit on SmackDown, but still feel like together or apart, those guys could do a lot. Imagine if you just had Alpha Academy over on SmackDown. You could break them up into two singles guys and you could, you know, give us Roman Reigns versus Chad Gable or something like that one, one night. I, that That's that's one that kind of hurts. But like you said, yeah, maybe, you know, Ricochet, Drew Gulak, uh, maybe, you know, there's some Heyman magic still over there on SmackDown or something. Because SmackDown has earned the benefit of the doubt that they're going to make something out of um, maybe that doesn't look so good at the time. Yeah, I mean, maybe they lost a little bit with the way they booked the Demon, but you know, for the for the most part, yes, over the last 14 months, SmackDown has does get the benefit of the doubt. But speaking of the demon, it's the last thing I want to talk about, and then we'll move on to everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw. So Raw drafted Finn Balor back, which honestly had to be done after the Roman Reigns booking. And I think we knew that was going to happen if he didn't win the title, so that's fine. But when they're reading the draft card, Adam Pierce calls him the extraordinary man who does extraordinary things. Holy fucking shit. I mean, come on. To say that right off the top hit me straight in the heart as a, as a Finn Balor fan. This guy went to NXT, refreshed himself completely as the Prince, came back to SmackDown hot as hell and super over both as the Prince and the Demon. And now he's just right back on smacked on Raw, I'm sorry, with the lamest fucking tagline ever. Now, to it's be the fair, worst tagline. To be fair, a, a slightly fair, they did single him out later in the show and put together this huge video package about Finn Balor, how great he is, 
They did mention the extraordinary stuff again, but they also showed Prince graphics and they showed demon stuff and they put it all together in one video package. So my hope beyond hope is that he's not reverting all the way back to smiling leather jacket, blue tights, Finn Balor. But man, if you're going to put that on the card when you're drafting him and you're going to make sure it's in that vignette, it really seems like they're doing that. And I, if they do that and he's smiling Finn Balor again, the happy-go-lucky face, I, I don't know that I could be more depressed by a, develop, a single development in the entire draft than that. One thing that did get me excited about Finn was last night he tweeted in a reply in a response to Chad Gable and he said, let's dance. So true. And, and AJ Styles and Finn Balor are on the same brand for the first time. Oh, I didn't realize that, that. is going. And Riddle is obviously there. So Balor, Riddle, Balor, Keith Lee. I mean, let's not get it twisted. The potential for incredible Finn Balor matches on raw is there, but we have to also look at it from a gimmick standpoint. Mm-hmm. And this guy has revitalized himself. He's really, undone the number that WWE did on him when he was on Raw. And for them to just draft him and announce him that way, I mean, it yeah. really hurt and that, and, and, and that comes off of what he didn't do on SmackDown, which we'll get to probably now. We're going to so. get to right now as we move away from our WWE draft reaction and analysis. Thank you all for indulging us for like an hour as we broke that down. We're going to talk about everything else now that happened on SmackDown and Raw, starting with Finn Balor, Roman Reigns, and the like. Inside the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, obviously, a lot of things happened on SmackDown and Raw, really the entire shows outside of people being drafted that we haven't talked about. Let's do our best, and it's always on me, really, to speed things up. Let's do our best to get in and out as quickly as we can. Um, but I do want to spend a little bit of time first. Of course, this was the, by far the most involved thing that we got across both shows. Roman Reigns, the bloodline, Finn Balor, all that type. So Roman Reigns hits the ring as the number one draft pick, of course, on SmackDown. He demands acknowledgement. Paul Heyman noted that the demon used to be undefeated, but ran up against an exorcist. As he said, Reigns would smash Lesnar at Crown Jewel. Lesnar suddenly enters, stalks the ring, got right in Reigns' face. They talked trash and brawled. Reigns ate two German suplexes. The Usos got killed in the ring. Reigns dipped out. Lesnar F5 Jimmy. Reigns warned him not to do it to Jay. And of course, he did it anyway. And then later, Jeff Hardy was being interviewed when Lesnar grabbed the mic backstage and Hardy just like dipped out hysterically. I thought that was very funny. Lesnar declared himself a free agent. He thanked Heyman for making it possible. Reigns asked Heyman if he and Lesnar are good friends. Heyman shook his head. His eyes were beat red. He was almost like he was crying. Reigns then asked Heyman if they are friends, and if so, why the Usos weren't drafted to SmackDown on Friday. Reigns screamed at Heyman for calling himself the wise man, like literally screamed at him, and demanded he go to Raw to ensure the Usos get drafted to SmackDown. He also told the Usos to go to Raw and leave Heyman for dead if it doesn't happen. All of this was just tremendous, Chris. It continued to show Reigns' dominance over not only his family, not only Heyman, but SmackDown and really WWE as a whole. And it definitely created further intrigue. What's going to happen Monday? What's going to happen with the Usos? I thought there were numerous potentially interesting storylines like the Usos getting drafted to Raw, but then maybe getting traded for the New Day. Reigns using his power to get the Usos back. 
We'll talk about what actually happened in a moment. I want to stick on this for to start. But as far as SmackDown goes, it was a really, really strong piece of booking, top to bottom, the entire show, including Reigns, Lesnar, and the Usos. Yeah, in, in, in Roman's kind of mental reactions to things and, and, and that aspect of his character has been the most interesting part of everything for the past 14 months that he's been back. And that even goes to here where one week ago, all Montez Ford had to do was insult the Usos and Roman demanded a match with Montez Ford. Lesnar comes out, F5s the Usos and Roman ain't want none. He don't want none of that. He, he, he is going back to the back. That's just such a clear difference of how he feels about someone like Montez Ford versus how he feels like someone who can stand up to him like Brock Lesnar. And, and Romans has had the perfect balance of keeping that confidence, but he's also scared. And you can feel that through his character, through his facial expressions, through everything, the way he yelled at Heyman. That's the most emotion I think we've seen from that character. Absolutely. At all outside of during a match. And, and so that, takes it up to another level. Heyman killed it. Like you said, looked like he was crying. This dude is, is an incredible uh, worker. And um, yeah, just great stuff again. So that was obviously good. That part on SmackDown. Good. Um, the one thing that depressed me about SmackDown in a massive way, I mentioned it briefly earlier. They literally did not provide any zero resolution, not even a shred to the demon losing. The rope breaking everything that happened in the main event of Extreme Rules. They showed it with pictures, but they didn't do anything. Balor wasn't even on the show. He didn't say a word. Commentary didn't ask what happened or give a clue that someone's investigating or that it's an issue. Just nothing. It's literally being treated like an act of God. Like somehow Roman Reigns got saved and Finn Balor lost. And that was just it. Which honestly, because we said this, on the instant analysis from Extreme Rules. We hated it, right? We thought either of the finishes, the Balor being re- Balor being resuscitated, the Demon being uh, revived, and beating Reigns for the title, that would have been a good booking. Or the opposite, which would be him not getting revived, that, that whole thing not happening, him going to the rope, Heyman breaking the rope, knowing it's his finisher, him falling, Reigns pinning him. Either of those on their own would have been a fine finish. Combining them together was bad, but we did say, hey, look, maybe there's at least something they can do on SmackDown to save it. We gave a shred of hope. That hope was dashed. They didn't save it. They didn't care to save it. They just said, F you, is what they did. And I hated that. So that, to me, was ugly. That they did that, Something they didn't do on SmackDown was ugly. Yep, they did not follow up on it. And it's not like he was, it's not like Finn was sent to the hospital and he's unable to speak. He's just, he hurt his knee and he ain't there. And that, again, makes him look weak. You know, he when, when the Cena thing happened and he lost out on that championship match, he at least came back and said, I'm pissed off. Cena, I'm going to deal with you later. And then he came back to Roman and got his match anyway. Like he was still pissed off about it and wanted to do something about it. Just let us know that Finn Balor's pissed off. Otherwise, I don't care about him. If he doesn't seem to care enough to show up to Friday Night SmackDown, to be pissed off at the way he lost, that takes away his credibility. So, yeah, absolutely ugly to have zero follow-up on that. And on Monday, too. So. This is bullshit, man! It was. It was bullshit. And then on Raw, this was also depressing. This pissed me off. 
The Usos get drafted in the first round to SmackDown. And Heyman took credit for it backstage, calling himself the warden of the Uso penitentiary. He was then interviewed and asked if his influence uh, to make the Usos get drafted to SmackDown is also how Brock Lesnar became a free agent. And the Usos stared at him (laughs) and were angry at him because of the insinuation by an interviewer, which was something that Roman Reigns had already insinuated on Friday. So they did all of this, presumably as a tease to get you to watch SmackDown, but then they didn't even make a storyline out of it, which was really upsetting. If they had gotten drafted to Raw and done anything I talked about, or even a completely different storyline where maybe the Usos are separated him for, for, for two or three weeks, and then Reigns finally gets them back, like at Crown Jewel, for example, to help him cheat to beat Lesnar, and then they're back on SmackDown the next night. Like, There's so many things they could have done to show that Roman has the power to affect change even when his cousins are drafted elsewhere. They just didn't do any of it. So it was that was bad. I'm not going to say ugly for it, but it was just really depressing that there was all this great stuff they could have done with Balor, the Demon, the Usos, and they didn't do any of it. As it relates to the, the Usos part, I, I thought it was fine. The, when... When the announcer asks, Heyman immediately follows up about Brock. Like, is, is this how you got Brock to be a free agent? And Paul's face, again, tremendous character work where he goes from the smile to the straight face to kind of scare that he got asked it. And in the announcer, I forget his name, the Irish guy, d- d- did a great job too. Didn't just immediately follow it up, microphone back to him. It was just like real quick, boom, boom. I, I, I thought it was really funny, actually, how that played out. So that was actually... That part I actually thought was good, but the Balor stuff and, and some of the other stuff. What they did was good. Like the, the interaction in the segment was good, but yeah. the storyline and not doing anything is what I'm talking about. So that's fair. Sure. I'll, I'll accept that from you. Okay, let's move on. Like I said, we got an absolute ton to talk about. Goldberg got a huge response in Nashville with fans chanting his name before he called out Bobby Lashley, who again explained that what happened to Gage was an accident. Lashley demanded an apology for Goldberg doing character assassination on him and said he'd only fight Goldberg in a no holds barred match. Goldberg said he'd only apologize to Lashley's kids for killing him and threatened that if Gage got involved, sorry, Lashley came back and threatened that if Gage gets involved this time, it won't be a mistake. He'll take him out. He set Goldberg up for a hurt business attack, but Goldberg easily took them out and speared Shelton Benjamin. Again, I can't stress this enough. I can totally do without the murder threats and killing people and death when it comes to wrestling. I said the same thing about AEW last week. I'm saying it here with WWE and especially with WWE. How can they be so tone deaf to the connotation of death, killing, and murder given that they are going to Saudi Arabia? I don't call the event Blood Money in the Sand 6 for nothing. Okay? so. It's not necessary in general. And then to promote a match for this show that way is ridiculous. Other than that, and I I grant you that's a big caveat. (laughs) Other than that, this is a really strong feud between these guys. It is totally exceeding my expectations. The promos on Monday I thought were good. And the match that they had that I thought was going to be a shit fest was really entertaining. Now you're going to do it no holds barred, which allows Goldberg to kind of rest, you know, between shots, take a lot of punishment, but not actually have to exert himself physically. I think it's actually going to be a good match. Obviously, Goldberg's going to win. But I thought this was a good segment. Am I crazy? 
this is what I've said every time we've had these Goldberg things pop up. And it is, I generally like everything he's involved in except the match at the end. I generally enjoy his promos and the intensity that he brings. And it's the kind of intensity you just don't get in other promos where everybody's speaking sarcasm half the time. And the fans love Goldberg. They're chanting Goldberg. Like, I I, I get it. But it, it was weird when he goes, it's no hold, no holds, basically says, it's no holds barred. That means I can kill you. That's not what no holds barred right. means. Right, you this still is, go to jail. I mean, again, maybe not this, in Saudi Arabia, but anywhere is, else, you go to jail if you murder this someone. Isn't, this isn't the pur- This isn't a purge match or something like Right. That. So, yeah. <laughs> Other than the talks of murder, like you said, yeah, this was fine. And, and Lashley is not wrong that it was sort of an accident. No, it was about, completely an accident. He had no idea who it was. But he didn't, didn't at the very beginning of their last few, didn't he do something to Goldberg's kid? He stared him down, I think, um, when he was walking out of the ring after Goldberg like confronted him. Okay, I wasn't him. sure. I wasn't sure but, if he put his hands on him or not. But the kid jumped on his back from behind while he's yeah. in competition mode. Yeah. He doesn't know who it is. So for him to... Yeah, also, also, wait, wait. Also, is, is Gage... Is Sunberg like hurt now, or is he like back in school playing football? Like, no, I don't, I don't think know. he was like, hurt. I don't think they said he was hurt. But, but I'm yeah. saying, like, if Goldberg's so Goldberg's so mad, it doesn't seem like his kid has any long term issues from this little thing that happened. Like, just tell me that, like, make up that his kid is like injured and and still is having trouble walking and he's going to get revenge for something like that. Like, if you're going to do well, it, I presume I, I will say I, I understand what you're saying. I will presume they're not doing that because, first of all, the kid's like, he's still in high school. He's not in college. Okay, and, but you're making And he's not going to be able to keep kayfabe. <laughs> so unless you're going to put the kid in like a, a, a foot cast and say, go sell this in high school, people are going to take pictures of him. They're going to get online. I, yes, but I don't. Come on. I mean, you're, you're taking the, it too far. He's already the focal part of the feud. Like, if you're going to do it, like, do it. The Goldbergs are not the Mysterios. The Mysterios keep kayfabe outside the ring and outside the <laughs> arena. The Goldbergs nah. don't. Sunberg and Goldberg don't do that. So overall, yes. Yeah, so I will. I will overall give this a good. Yeah, I think you're trying to go a little too far on that one. But but I'm with you though. In general, like this is. I, I don't know how. It's exceeding my expectations. And the other thing I really like about it, it is not now centered around the title, which is what it should always be the case with Goldberg, with Brock Lesnar, and really even with Edge, but especially those two. They do not need titles to be in feuds. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Big E, let's go to Raw. He came out uh, an hour into Raw, really angry about New Day being drafted to SmackDown. The fans obviously agreed. We already talked about that. Big E said beating Bobby Lashley in the cage ensured he was the rightful, undoubted WWE champion. Then he called out Drew McIntyre, who obviously came out at the end of that match. Uh, And McIntyre said Big E liberated the title. And he also liberated Drew's chances at contending for it because of the Lashley stipulation. McIntyre said Biggie deserved his respect. They shook hands, but he still wanted his title shot. And then out comes Dolph Ziggler, who congratulates E, but said he never got his thank you and shows footage of Biggie joining WWE as Ziggler's bodyguard. Of course, of course, conspicuous by her absence in all of those was AJ Lee, but understandable why they did that. Ziggler then reminded Drew, hey, when you came back to Raw, you were my bodyguard too. Uh, the faces made fun of Robert Roode as a downgrade from them as Ziggler's partner. Roode called himself Big Bob, which was very funny. Drew then later called himself Big D, 
which of course is incredible. And then we got the tag team title challenge and match, which we knew was coming. I loved every second of this entire thing because it called back to known history. We don't ask for a lot. It makes so much sense for Dolph Ziggler to want to go after Big E, just like Dolph Ziggler went after Drew McIntyre when he won the WWE title over a year ago after WrestleMania. They had that like two-month feud. It should be the exact same situation here. And that is my only gripe on this entire thing. We'll talk about the match in a moment. My only gripe was I wish they saved Ziggler's promo and all of this for a short-term WWE title feud instead of a random tag team match on Raw because Ziggler does actually have motivation and reason to want to fight Big E for the title considering Ziggler was world champion when Big E was his bodyguard. This was not just good, this was great, but I wish they had saved it. I, I agree, but it also kind of comes back to, I don't trust WWE to do that at any point down the road. I mean, he actually did, they did do the Drew Ziggler feud. That's what I'm saying, I just said that, year. yeah. Yeah, so I mean, like, they have sort of done it, but... You know, it's just I I, I don't it, it was great. I, I like that they did it because you don't know for sure if they're going to do it down the road. I liked when Heath Slater came back, you know, during the in the performance center to, to talk to Drew about stuff like bring these people back into history. Like that's what that's that means. Hey, if you were paying attention to WWE in 2013, like we got you like we know you saw that and we want to recognize that you've been watching this. And it, that that's just it's rewarding your viewers this was really good stuff. It was funny. The big Bob stuff was funny. Um, uh, it it, it, it kind of dragged on for a little too long, I think. But overall, I, I really liked it. It did. There were some pauses. They may have forgotten their place a little bit. It did go on a little long, but it was definitely good. As was the match. Biggie and McIntyre against the Dirty Dogs. Biggie got the hot tag. He hit three belly-to-belly suplexes. Rude stopped Biggie's tope spear with his knee. McIntyre broke up a pinfall after a zigzag. McIntyre then tossed Root outside, but as Big E was going for the big ending, McIntyre tagged himself in and hit the Claymore for the win. Big E then got his finisher on Root, and the match between Big E and McIntyre, they agreed to fight each other at Blood Money in the Sand 6. This one, as expected, it was a spot so the main event faces could pop the crowd on a show that didn't have a lot booked and didn't really have a lot of matches, especially long matches either. It's tough to create face versus face title feuds, I think WWE did a really good job here for something that is knowingly going to be short term because obviously Drew McIntyre got drafted over to SmackDown. So top to bottom, I love this. And I really hope that Robert Roode being able to speak and pop the crowd and and make people laugh and do what he did, it gets the Dirty Dogs on television more. I have said it since they got together. They are a legitimately good, fun, talented tag team and both of the guys can talk. They had a title run, of course, on SmackDown. It didn't go you know, as well as we hoped. It didn't go as long and wasn't as exciting and interesting. They're over on Raw. There's a lot more time to, for them to be on TV. The division's a lot tighter over on Raw. I really hope that these guys get run as a, a tag team championship run. And I just love it. I, I, I love everything about both of them. I love the team name. I love the look. It all works for me. And this whole segment worked for me as well. Yeah, I, I was wondering the last time Robert Roode spoke in a WWE ring, 
it, it has to have been a long time ago. I know he's kind of had some backstage stuff, but at least like three yeah, months or something like that. It, yeah. It's yeah, they're 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 talented guys. And and again, Raw has been giving us for the last three or four weeks just they're just giving us stuff. Something important, something notable, it's interesting, it's happening. So that's why I don't want to criticize them too much for oh, you could have saved it. Because if week to week they're just gonna give us interesting things, I'll take that because that that's that's been hard to come by. And now for a number of weeks, they're just gonna give us interesting stuff. We'll see in three months how how the stories play out. But yeah, I'm not gonna I, I don't want to criticize them for that if they're giving us something we like. So yeah. All right, uh, so let's keep going. A New Day and Street Profits fought Alpha Academy and Dirty Dogs on SmackDown. That's why I put all this together. Otis caught Montez Ford flying outside and murdered him. Chad Gable caught Ford flying over the ropes for a suplex bridge and a near fall in an absolutely awesome spot. Again, Chad Gable, underused. Uh, Angela Dawkins was on fire with a hot tag. He had a swinging neckbreaker on Rude. Ford took Otis out with a huge tope con hero. Then Ziggler took out Ford and Kofi Kingston took out Ziggler. Root hit Dawkins with a spine buster, but Dawkins tagged Kofi and New Day hit up, up, down, down for the win. The crowd was hot for it on SmackDown because of the big spots. It wasn't particularly notable. It was a good match. Yeah, m- match was fine. I-, I like seeing American Alpha on my TV again. Street Alpha Profits. Academy. Alpha Academy. I keep doing this. <laughs> I love them, but I can't get their name right. It's too many A's. Well, no, um, American Alpha was Chad Gable um, with what's right. his name? Um, yeah, why am I I'm, just, I'm getting them mixed up because they're A's and Americas and it's it's out of order. Whatever. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was fun. It was fun. Jason Jordan. Okay, sorry. Yes, I couldn't. I don't know. Kurt why Angle's that. son, Jason Jordan. Man, I wish he could come back. He really had a lot of promise. Um, okay, he, he's a he's a producer. Isn't he? he is, but I want him to wrestle. I mean, you know. yeah, no, for sure. New Day and Hurt Business happened on Raw. This was a super short match with Woods hitting a springboard elbow drop on Alexander. I believe it was for the win. Woods then got right into the camera's grill and screamed, crown me, basically demanding to be in the King of the Ring tournament. After the match, the Street Profits dapped up New Day basically for no reason. Uh, but look, stuff with all these guys can't be bad. So obviously it's good by default. Yeah, that was that was a weird ending to that segment to come out and then just dance for a little bit. I, I, there, there were a few segments on Raw that just kind of ended weird. And this was one of them. Yeah, that one and the Kevin Owens one in particular. Uh, for anyone... Yes. Of course, wants to hear us talk uh, King of the Ring and Queen's Crown. We will do that at the end of the show. I should have mentioned that earlier. Moving back over to SmackDown, we had uh, Sasha Banks against Bianca Belair in a huge match. Becky Lynch came out to sit on commentary. Belair pressed Banks twice. Sasha flipped out of the kiss of death and Bianca leveled her with a forearm. Belair caught Banks for a glam slam near fall and then hit a delayed vertical suplex, kip up and standing moonsault for another. Sasha hit a frog splash for near fall and Bianca put her spine first into the barricade. Becky distracted Bianca and held her braid as she was getting back in the ring, allowing Banks to trap her in a jackknife cover for the one, two, three. Flair then booted both Banks and Belair standing tall as Lynch stood with the title on the announce table. Not only was this a fun match at 3.5 stars and a B, the finish was really well done. This is what we talk about with letting there be a real finish, even if you want to have a distraction or a post-match attack. It sold Banks' candidacy for the title, Becky being a thorn in Bianca's side, which she was again on Monday, and Flair being a factor on SmackDown as well, considering she came in at the end. This was extremely good for me. Yeah, having them all together, my my only thought was like, this is like this is like the four horsewomen, except for Bianca has replaced Bailey. Right. I, I mean, she's she's on that level now with them. And seeing any mix of these four 
is main event type stuff. She's still the outsider, though, which is cool. Like, yes. And, she, and she, they played it up like that. Right, right, right. Like the other three all have some familiarity and and they can maybe work together a little bit. They're also all heels and she's the they're only all heels. Face. Right. She's the only face. So it all kind of like oh, the four horsewomen are all heels, but Bianca's a face. And it's just it's the dynamic is really fun. And then they basically repeated the dynamic on Raw, which I just fully appreciated the way they did it. So. Right. I'll run through Raw. I, I think you said that was good, or I'm going to assume you did. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Becky Lynch surprisingly opened Raw, declaring she was the number one pick for the red brand, and basically saying she wanted to be Becky Two Belts again. Charlotte Flair came out to tear her down, and then Belair stood up for herself, and the crowd chanted, Charlotte sucks, which I don't think I've ever heard before, but that was pretty cool. Uh, Lynch egged on a fight between them, and Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville let it happen. They came out and set it as the main event. And I really li- liked Becky Lynch in that role. She's really was in that role both on SmackDown and Raw, which was cool to see. So we got Flair against Belair. Lynch was predictably at ringside. Flair deadlifted Belair for a near fall. Belair then deftly avoided natural selection, but Flair avoided a vertical suplex. They ran the ropes. Flair caught Belair with a spear, but she kicked out right at 2.5 flat. Flair booted Belair off the ropes and hit a second moonsault after a miss. Belair countered a figure four attempt into an inside cradle for a near fall and then hit the kiss of death clean. But Becky predictably pulled her out of the ring to attack for the disqualification. So a similar finish, technically different than the one we got on SmackDown. Lynch then hit a Bexploder on Belair into the barricade and the manhandle slam back inside the ring. And suddenly Sasha Banks is the one this time who runs in out of nowhere to beat down Becky. She had a Meteora into both her and Belair in the corners before a backstabber on Lynch to end Raw. So you had, I think it was Flair, is it, who stood tall at the end of um, SmackDown along with Lynch, both of them. And you had Banks stand tall at the end of Raw while everyone else was taken out. Now, we don't love disqualifications, but as I said last week, there are situations in which it's okay. This is one of them. Would Flair have been hurt by a loss? No, she probably should have been caught with an inside cradle. But then if you do that, you're creating a scenario where Bianca deserves a title match. You don't really want to do that. Given the rosters aren't changing for two plus weeks, I get it in this situation. You can't really have Bianca lose because she just lost on Friday. So I'm okay with the finish. Giving the women the opening segment and the main event spotlight and them totally delivering as usual, just as they did on SmackDown is obviously good. I will say I'm legitimately excited for the triple threat match at Crown Jewel. And the interaction between all four women is truly great. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I wish all these big matches weren't happening at happening at Blood Money in the Sand. I think you tweeted it. That's basically it's a WrestleMania. A WrestleMania. Yeah. It's a WrestleMania card. And honestly, I don't like that. But at the same time, we don't have an October pay-per-view. So I get it. But um, yeah, no, anything with these four is great. There's another fun finish obviously you know i'm I'm gonna give it bonus points because they could have easily gone with it's a women's match distraction roll up and charlotte loses or something like that so i almost prefer the interference finish to that so so there's that too and whenever it's a heel doing a dq it's way better than a face doing it so that that works as well all right we've been really positive and i think we're gonna still be positive uh for a little bit and then things are gonna turn sour at least for me uh, United States Championship, Damian Priest versus Jeff Hardy. Look, it's great that Hardy got drafted to SmackDown to make sure this never happens again. 
because this is his third chance at the title since September 13th. He had an open challenge. He got the triple threat, and now he got another title match despite losing both of those. Hardy hit Whisper in the wind for a near fall. Priest countered a twist of fate with a bell clap. Hardy came back with a sling blade and a twist of fate, plus a swanton bomb. He didn't immediately cover, and because of that, Priest got out from under it, turned him sideways, hit a quick crucifix pinfall, and got the win. Hardy said after the match that he plans to show a different side of himself, a different ego, when he goes over to SmackDown. So that's pretty cool. And then Austin Theory, who got drafted to Raw on Friday, he comes out, acts like a fanboy, apologizes for interrupting, promises no disrespect, called Hardy a legend and asked for a selfie. He took it. Then he blindsided Hardy with the clothesline, took him out with the ATL, which is his finisher, and then took another selfie with Hardy basically dead on the ground. First, this match wasn't anything special that we talked about. And it even happening was a bit ridiculous given everything I said before. The finish was nice. I really liked it. And Hardy put Priest over again on his way out, which is good. With it seeming now like Hardy may get a match or two against Theory, he has a chance to also put a young dude over, or at least give him a really big first-time feud. Plus, he's teasing a character change on SmackDown. Now, whether that's Willow, I don't even know, Chris, if you know what that is. I, bar- I do. I, I don't. I barely know. I mean, I, I have seen pictures of it, but I don't know the details of it. Or if it's a completely different character gimmick, change in personality when he returns to SmackDown. I don't know what it's going to be. I'm interested in it. All of that combined makes something that I otherwise would have said was bad, the rematch, a good segment. I like I liked the end of the segment. I didn't like anything else in the segment. I, I did like Priest's creative way to, way to roll up, but I didn't need Hardy to again give Priest a... You the know, rub yeah. putting putting them over again we got that at extreme worlds which is what we needed um i i was waiting for hardy to turn heel or something and attack priest because there was just kind of like they're just kind of like waiting there for a while and i was like oh is hardy gonna just be pissed off because he kind of should be pissed off but they didn't do that then the theory thing happens they're like oh okay that was actually kind of a a, a fun way to end it now what i would love to see them do is with Theory and Hardy is do the alleged carrying cross storyline that they didn't do. Have Hardy beat Theory by cheating the first time. Have Theory like flip out and it eventually turns into like, you know, there, there was criticism over the way that carrying cross Hardy thing started. Then Hardy got sick and it got delayed and then they changed whatever they were going to do. Maybe they just run it back with Theory and try it out. And because because I think it, it with someone who wasn't at the level of carrying cross, it could, it could be an interesting way to tell a story with the heel. It does bother me that theory, unfortunately, is on raw just because of how stacked that singles picture is. It, it concerns me that that's where he got drafted, where if they had put him on SmackDown, I think he would have had a lot of opportunity to shine. But they clearly know he's talented. They clearly know he's going to be something one day in terms of a main eventer. Hopefully this is just the start. And if Hardy plays that Kurt Angle role to... um John Cena, you know, Austin Theory's John Cena. I think it'll work, but we'll see. We got two more weeks. We will find out what they do. Back on SmackDown, Edge got a sick response from the crowd. He said he's the last superstar who appeared on the original SmackDown, which I thought was pretty cool. He gave Seth Rollins credit for goading him back, but Rollins appeared on screen to say Edge is a liar. So he didn't actually expect he'd show up. So therefore, Rollins then showed himself outside Edge's house. He entered the house. He called Beth Phoenix's name. He got some stuff for the fridge. The guy took orange juice and an apple, which I just, 
<laughs> Who does that, right? That's a psychopath. Um, then he makes fun of Edge's daughter's art. He put his feet up, relaxing. They switch back to SmackDown. Edge calls Beth, tells her not to go home. He then references uh, her calling two people. And the two people that he referenced were actually FTR, which I thought was pretty funny to name drop their real life names, obviously not their character names. That was pretty funny. They all live, I think, in Asheville, North Carolina. So that's why he did that. But this was pretty awesome. It's exactly what we wanted. We said we love when people go to other people's homes. Samoa Joe to AJ Styles. Um, Randy Orton has gone to people's homes. Obviously, Austin and Pillman is a little bit different, of course, a little bit more extreme. But we always love when that type of stuff happens, when things go down outside of the wrestling sphere that we so often lock ourselves in in the arena. Uh, this was great. Was it a little bit more PG than I would have liked? Sure. I love right. that Karma is finally hitting edge for a lot of the negative things, bad things, heel things he's done throughout his career. I'd have loved even more to have seen his daughters and Beth, at least Beth. But I get it. You can't necessarily do that. It was very good. I'll add what happened on Raw, and then you can get in, Chris. Seth Rollins basically said not to bring up Edge because he's taking care of that business on SmackDown. Again, they both got drafted to Raw, so we'll see if that's true. He put himself over, though, with a promo that kind of made him sound like Fred Hampton, which I don't know about that. And it, it's not really appropriate, but that is all I could think of when I heard Seth Rollins promo. He also snuck in the yeah. word shit to his promo, which he alluded to doing when he found out that you can now say shit on NXT. The promo was short, sweet and good. The segment on SmackDown was very good. Overall, I just love the Seth Rollins character. And Edge getting his comeuppance with this deal happening at his house, it's honestly great. I'm, I, I thought the house thing was pretty good. It was exactly what I wanted. So I want go to go to someone's house. Like it's way interesting when you get outside of the wrestling show, and and, and they did that. But and I actually wouldn't have put Beth and the kids there because then that gets that starts to get a little like kind of creepy and weird, but. He didn't do anything in the house. Like Edge just left the door open, which is on Edge. It's on it's on <coughs> Beth. It's on Beth. He, well, it's he on, sorry, home. it's on Beth. You're right. You're right. It's on Beth. But then he just like had a little food and pointed like rip up the kid's art or something like that. Like, I'm sure it's not like just put up some fake kid art and like rip it up and put some fake stuff in there to damage, like really make this uh, like haven't if you're going to do this have like a little bit more of an impact I, well i, I like don't think was, the goal was to destroy his home it was to get an edge's head and screw with him so it was more sure psychology it was more like what samoa joe was doing he wasn't gonna go and actually hurt wendy you know what i mean he just wanted no. to get on under aj's skin right but if i i just like if you're in the house like break something so well, he was saying he was I, waiting for beth to get home so that's why edge went crazy and called people now we didn't get resolution it would have been right. would have been nice to see Beth return home and Rollins isn't there. Now, obviously, sure. FTR, FTR couldn't have been on screen if they did that. It would have been nice to get resolution. Other than not having the resolution right. to it, though, I, I got to say, I I really enjoyed it. I thought they I, did. I love the I love the idea. I love the creativity. I'm, I'm, I'm giving this a good. I, I just I was like waiting for him to just. Oh, this is cute kids art you got. Rip up the kids art. Like, no, it's not a real. It matters to Edge, but it's not a real thing that matters if you just rip up the kids art or something like that. I, I feel like that would have that would have taken his 
scared, pissed off level to to another another level if he had just kind of sure. hinted at like, oh, I could do a lot more than this little thing instead of just kind of hanging around. But it, overall, it was really good. I do promise, folks, the bad the bads and uglies are coming. Okay, it was just a lot of the things they weren't not good. You know what I mean? So it's it's kind of tough to be negative about certain things, but there were some. Well, we, you also, you, you're ordering all the, we talk about all the good stuff. No, first. no, no. I order it based on what's most important. So I, I order it based on the biggest names. So we're talking about Biggie and Becky Lynch and yeah. New Day and all these guys. And then the, just this week, the way it happened is the main event and upper mid card stuff was all good. And the mid card and low stuff was mostly bad. So that's just how it happened to go. But I always, I don't order it good, good to bad. I order it based on who are the most important people that we should talk about first. That's how I always do it. And that's something good. I'm glad you actually gave me the opportunity to say that in case anyone ever wonders why it's ordered the way it's ordered. That's for the reason. It's the biggest names, the biggest storylines, pe- the people that fans like the most. Speaking of, RK Bro is backstage with Riddle rambling, Randy Orton stopping him before challenging Omos one-on-one. AJ Styles came out to the ring to tear down Orton and promised to take the titles off RK Bro and shove them in their faces. Orton then attacked Styles. Riddle jumped on Omos. And then Orton RKO'd Styles and dipped with Omas steaming mad, like staring at him over the ropes. Commentary sold this, I think, as good or even better than it was executed. They sold it as Orton purposely outsmarting both of them, never really wanting to fight Omas one-on-one, but just wanting to take out Styles and get in his head the entire time. I'm going to allow that. It was entertaining. It was good. No, no, you do not tease me with a Randy Orton Omos match and then the faces get out of it and tell me that was the that was such a creative. I thought it was very decision creative. by Orton. I no, I want to see Randy Orton versus Omos. And if you're going to tell me. So do I. If, if the, but not only that, but it, it wasn't even the heels backing out on it. Chris, they're like not going the heel, anywhere. They're all staying on Raw. You'll see it. I know, but <laughs> I'm just saying in the context of Raw has been giving me good giving just things are happening. We're going to give you exciting stuff to then tease that you're going to give me this because I love Omos. You guys know this <laughs> and then just not do it. And then be like, oh, Randy got one over on him. No, that's that's crap. This I'm feels like a, this feels like a personal bad, not not really an actuality. No, it's just I don't tease me with a, a big match, have the face back out of it and then say that was it. No, that that's all. He didn't bad. back out of the match. He made a challenge. They did not accept it. There was an attack and they dipped out of the ring. That's all that happened. I just overall they no. never scheduled the match on the show i, I, have I know to say, but this was not I, living, this was often, not living carmelo where they scheduled the match or, or whoever no. the hell that was and didn't do it so uh, no, to, to I me know. it's okay but also that was about I, I i i get what you're saying i just don't like being teased with this match will someone accept someone challenge and the answer being no almost never happens in wrestling all right well i'll get into some shit i didn't like okay uh Kevin or- Kevin Owens versus Happy Corbin. In a backstage promo, Corbin introduced Madcap Moss, which, wow. Riddick Moss is not okay. You can't call the guy Riddick Moss. They have to be called Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss. I actually also, Googled Madcap. I didn't know what it the, meant. Every, what, what does it mean? I don't even know. I don't even remember. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was Madcat. No, that's cat. what everybody. That's what everybody thought. Uh, no, but I'm saying when he first said it, everybody thought, uh, everybody thought it was Mad Cat. Uh, apparently, Mad Cat, dating from the 16th century, originally meant lunatic. Capricious, uh, reckless, foolish. So he's a yeah. joker because he's smiling and laughing. And doing the laughing. I guess. Apparently, okay. there was also a 
comic book character that fought Captain America called Madcap. Uh, regardless, terrible. Who, like, these writers, I mean, I know Vince is old. These, and I know Bruce is old. Not as old, but old. These writers aren't old. This writing staff isn't six, you know, from the 60s. Like, what are you doing? Just call the guy Riddick Moss. Call him Baron Corbin and Riddick Moss. Call him Happy Baron Corbin and Madcap Riddick Moss if you want. It's a joke. I'll, I will say that um, Corbin's finisher going from the end of days to happy days almost makes the entire gimmick change worse. Oh, it. did they call it that? I didn't even get into the match. I didn't even realize they said that. I, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they said happy days. I like that. Um, that's kind of funny, but okay. That's actually pretty funny. So here's overall, the deal. Yeah. So Corbin, what I liked, <laughs> the thing I liked the most is Corbin wore a leopard shirt during the match. I just thought it was so funny. But other than that, Moss took out Owen's legs and we went to commercial 30 seconds into the match. We came back. KO hit a tornado DDT. Corbin a deep six, both for near falls. Moss distracted. And Owens ate an end of days at ringside and then got another one inside for the one, two, three. It all made sense given the numbers advantage. It wasn't notable in any way. It wasn't particularly bad or good. It just really happened. And then again, to your point, what happened on Raw, Owens comes out. He's about to cut a promo. Before he can speak, Akira Tozawa grabs a mic. Challenges Reggie for the 24-7 title. So Owen stunned him. To not cut, have him cut a promo, I mean, what a shit segment. So on SmackDown, on Raw, the Kevin Owens stuff, the happy Corbin stuff, and for the name, Mad Cap Moss, go to hell. Zero point zero. I didn't like any of it. No, nah, and, and I, you know... Kevin Owens' contract situation keeps coming up quite a bit, um, maybe over at the end of the year or early 2022, I think. And I, I don't know, maybe it's because you're just thinking about that, but watching him just kind of walk out there, yeah, not sure. all that excited, really just kind of feels noticeable. And Kevin Owens is still someone, you know, when his music hits, people stand up. You know, he He is incredibly over, but the energy level just kind of around everything he's doing pretty much ever since Logan was it Logan Paul or Jake Logan Paul left. That was a great segment with Corbin. And Logan it was. Paul. Yeah, it was. But ever since then, you know, Paul was the heat. It wasn't really Corbin. And so now it's just kind of whatever. And it feels like Owens is kind of floating around out there and you can't help but wonder, you know, if he's thinking about what's next. Yeah. Or if WWE is booking him this way because of that, because they're not getting mm -hmm. a commitment and they have a feeling he's going to go or because he teased it on Twitter, even though sometimes people tease stuff and they don't, it doesn't actually happen, you know, but maybe it is going to happen with him. He is friends with all those guys. So yeah, it, I do agree. Every time he comes out, I'm like, if this guy has one foot out the door, what's the point? I, I think of it every single time. Uh, women's tag team championship, Rhea Ripley and Nikki Ash against Natalia and Tamina. The third time this match happened in five weeks, I guess they just wanted to have one more women's tag team title match before they're not going to have any for a while until they establish <laughs> teams. Uh, Ripley got the hot tag. Nikki splashed the challengers outside. Then Ripley hit the riptide on Tamina, which candidly, pretty impressive. Followed by a clunky new tag team finisher with Ripley slamming Nikki off her shoulders into Tamina for the win and the title retention. I like the finisher. I actually think it's pretty good. But they got to do it with Nikki climbing on the ropes, not trying to climb up Rhea Ripley's body like she's a tree. It just, it, it was so clunky the way they did it. But I'm going to say the match, the wrestling, it actually over delivered. 
And if they can get that finisher worked out, it's going to do them well. This is going to be the final time they all fight because Nikki, uh, sorry, Natalia and Tamina got drafted to separate brands. So to my own surprise, I'm actually going to say that this was good because I was entertained by it. Yeah, I, I like Rhea and Nikki together and, and they're, they're interesting and trying new things, which is kind of weird that there's not going to be, I don't know what the tag team situation is after this, but um, I don't know. Like th- this is one of those where it's like, wasn't great or anything. It was like fine. And I mean, I, I guess I'll give it a it's good, unoffensive. It's unoffensive. It's unoffensive. Honestly, I don't remember most of it. I kind of relied on you explaining it. So, so, so other than that, sure. Well, let's go from unoffensive to offensive. All right. Because on SmackDown, oh my God, on SmackDown, they booked Liv Morgan versus Carmella. Ugh. Liv hits Mella before the bell. So Mella grabs a mic, gets help putting on a glittery soft mask, kicks Liv twice, hits an X factor, takes off the mask and taunts Liv. Now, before the match began, I put a poll on Twitter asking if it would be over or under two minutes and 30 seconds. The fucking bell never even rang. Why they even decided to do a rematch is beyond me. When Liv won clean at the pay-per-view in a match that over-delivered and exceeded our expectations. This is as bad as it gets. The crowd was dumbfounded. I'm sitting on my couch reconsidering why I'm watching wrestling, period, (laughs) any brand, when I saw this. Why the hell are you still doing this feud? Why the hell is Carmella wearing what is supposed to be a protective mask that's soft, it's cotton basically, or, or felt or whatever fabric it is. Why would you promote a match and not even have it? It's not even better. I'd rather it be a two minute and 30 second match because at least something would have happened. This was absolutely, positively, U-G-L-Y, ugly. They should be ashamed of themselves. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. I am pissed off. I'm pissed to the highest level of pissivity. Yeah, it's ugly. I don't want to give this more time than SmackDown gave it. Uh, it, it. It's it's ridiculous. They just they love. They clearly like think highly of Liv and just don't pull the trigger. And they just keep throwing the same extra obstacles in her just to kind of keep her treading water for whatever the hell knows what reason. Um, terrible. We had Shayna Baszler against Dana Brooke on Raw. Dana went after Shayna right at the bell, but rolled her up to stop her getting her hand stopped, which was pretty cool. Baszler immediately locked her in the Karafuda clutch and got the win in one minute and 20 seconds. Baszler was ready to take Dana out the same way she did Nia Jax and Eva Marie. When Dewdrop came down, she turned her back on Baszler, her being Dewdrop for a second, and took a shot to the back, but totally no-sold it, staring down Baszler. Now, normally, Chris, just like I did, with Liv Morgan and Carmella, and as I have with all those matches recently on SmackDown and a couple on Raw, I would trash this for its length. But this was completely on purpose, specifically to build Shayna Baszler as dominant again. It's still not good wrestling. This is the type of match that you should give three minutes, as opposed to the minimum of six or eight that I normally want in all those other matches. Instead, it got less than 90 seconds. I see positives here. I can point them out. And because I can point out some positives, it's not ugly, but it was bad. 
I actually giving this a good. Um, I, I it had to be this one. This one had to be short because it was Dana Brooke, and, and, and based on the other things that had happened, and to get us to the post match, and Dewdrop coming down and protecting her, and Eve and, and Shayna like thinking about it and then backing off and thinking about it. It it it, it dragged a little bit, but it added to the intrigue because. This is what we. This is what I want from Dewdrop. This is what I want. That she can clearly go. I, you know, I, I want to see her look good instead of doing the stupid Eva crap. And so, yeah, they told the story here. This this played out over the last couple of weeks, and Dewdrop comes to save it. And, and Shayna being unsure about somebody like Dewdrop, I don't know. I I find this really intriguing. I'm I'm actually giving this one a good. I, it's really it's really going to matter what they do over the next two weeks because Baszler's off to SmackDown. And obviously Dana Brooke and Dewdrop are both staying on Raw. I could see them creating a tag team. That would be interesting. But if Dewdrop just loses to Baszler, even if they have a nice long match, it's going to be like, well, what was the point of the entire thing, right? But I do assume that's what's going to happen. Either next week or the week after, we get Dewdrop and Baszler and they fight. And I don't know why you would send Baszler off to SmackDown after a run of dominance only to have her lose to Dewdrop. So we will find out. But I thought it was bad, despite, again, I did note there were some positives, but it just wasn't good. Uh, Mustafa Ali and Mansoor fought Umberto Carrillo and Angel Garza. This is a direct rematch from last week, and it was basically exactly the same. The heels were aggressive. Garza flipped Ali into the bottom turnbuckle. Carrillo then slammed Ali's head head first into the uh, ring post from inside the ring before Garza got the one, two, three. It was a continued good build for a new tag team that's moving over to SmackDown, but again, why not let people actually wrestle more than a couple of minutes? You can do the same finish. They can still look like good heels and dominant heels in a 10-minute match. It's just so frustrating. And by the way, both of these teams are going to SmackDown together. So I'm saying good because they're actually doing something with Carrillo and Garza, but they're also doing it to the detriment of Ali and Mansoor, which is really disappointing. No, I'm giving this a bad. Like, we're we're just doing the same thing here. That that's It's nothing. It, it, you're wasting my time. And again, going to SmackDown, this is the kind of thing that would probably get cut going from a three hour show to a two hour show. So I'm yet they're all going over there. Right. So I'm really curious exactly what the plan is. So we'll see. But no, I'm, I'm giving this a bad like I, I, none of the people involved are bad, but just is nothing. It's just a rematch of nothing. So it's a waste of time. Right. It didn't advance the storyline that that that's for sure. It just kept it exactly the same as it was last week. Uh, and then lastly, Reggie got tricked into seeing Adam Pierce to talk about the draft when he got surrounded by the Viking Raiders, R-Truth, and the rest of the 24-7 people. He did a bunch of flips and escaped before Apollo Crews approached him. He didn't go after the title, thank God. I got really scared when I saw him there. Um, but he did just kind of confront him a little bit. This was a whole bunch of nothing. It was bad because it certainly wasn't good by any means. And seeing the Viking Raiders even involved in that is just insulting. Now the Raiders are going to SmackDown, so it's fine. We don't have to worry about that. But it certainly wasn't a um, it didn't make me enthusiastic to see these people, them and, and Cruz in that segment. Um, what what was your grade on this? Then? It's a bad. Y- yeah, it was a bad, but it was kind of an interesting bad just to see new people around Reggie. Like I'm, I, I thought, hey, what if Cruz like takes the 24-7 championship and like makes it feel like a big deal? Like that could be. We've, I mean, but we've then, hoped that so many times, and, right? You know, that's it's, it's false hope, and then and then and then it seemed like Cruz just kind of was there to be like a well, welcome to Raw type of moment. In which case, 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm giving it a bad. This title could be so much more. Okay, so that's it for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Really quick, uh, I know it's a long show, but I just briefly want to mention WWE announced uh, King of the Ring and the Queen's Crown Tournament, both beginning this coming Friday on SmackDown. Unfortunately, they did not announce who is participating in those tournaments. Uh, my assumption is, of course, the SmackDown people will fight on SmackDown, the Raw people will fight on Raw, and given the proximity to Crown Jewel, it seems pretty obvious that the finals of those tournaments will take place at Crown Jewel, which, of course, would make a lot of sense and, you know, probably make for a good undercard for that show. Uh, look, the concerns are the same, right? Uh, the, the person, whoever wins on the men's side, being saddled with a ridiculous king gimmick as opposed to Ugh. as opposed to one just being the king, you know, like people have been in the past, Bret Hart and Steve Austin. And, and you know, you can use being king, winning the king of the ring to elevate your career as opposed to doing it in a comedic somewhat ridiculous, stupid way. The only person where doing that worked for them, of course, was King Booker. Everyone else, it was largely a failure. Um, and regarding the Queen's crown, that's going to be interesting too, because the way it sets up, you, you think to yourself, man, Charlotte's not involved in any matches. Um, she could just going to win that. Are they just going to make her queen? Of course, Shayna Baszler, the queen of spades. That's another option. Uh, everyone, uh, um, Asuka is the Empress of Tomorrow. Uh, Carmella is no, she's now she's the most beautiful woman in WWE for a long time. She was the princess of Staten Island. So there's so much royalty already uh, in WWE. I am similarly concerned what happens if a woman, maybe like a Carmella, uh, is in the tournament and ultimately wins it. And then we have it again. Those are the concerns. The positives, I have said on every wrestling podcast I've ever been on, I love tournaments. I love the King of the Ring. I wish it was still a pay-per-view. I wish WWE did it annually. Even when we had the King of the Ring tournament that Corbin won when he beat Gable, that tournament itself was really exciting. Chad Gable got built up in that tournament. Corbin got built up. We thought we were going to see Corbin, I mean, uh, Gable go over. We didn't. That was a disappointment. But still, the matches were really good. If you remember that final match between both of mm -hmm. them was awesome. So, there is a great possibility now for the next you know, four episodes of SmackDown and Raw for us to be given matches that matter, that are hopefully new and not rematches, or even if they are rematches, the next round they won't be. So I'm very excited for King of the Ring and Queen's Crown. I wish they were things that were being resolved on television or at a WWE pay-per-view in the United States and not at Blood Money in the Sand 6. But really that is my only negative. I, I'll say one more. My only other negative, I wish they happened uh, not concurrently, but one after another. So I wish like King of the Ring went, and then once that was crowned, immediately the Queen's Crown tournament started. Because that would give you a bunch of really interesting TV over eight weeks instead of, you know, or sorry, maybe six weeks instead of three weeks. So that's it. But I am excited and I'm glad they're back. And I'm glad Queen's Crown's getting introduced. All of it to me is largely a positive. Yeah, I'll start with my negatives. One, why is it not called Queen of the Ring? Because they can't get the trademark. Someone else owns the trademark to Queen of the Ring. Okay. All right. That's totally fine. Acceptable. Yep. Um, yes, I, I I really, really hate this ending at Crown Jewel, assuming that's what happens, because it's supposed to be a moment, yet we're kind of trained to feel like what happens in Saudi Arabia doesn't totally matter because the time it's on. And, you know, they did that best in the world tournament that Shane McMahon won. And it was just complete 
nonsense. It was eventually used for a story, but it was kind of weird. Like you want someone winning King and Queen of the Ring to be a big moment. And you want that in front of fans who are going to treat it like a big deal. So that kind of sucks. Um, Please, for the love of God, do not do King and Queen gimmicks off of this. Look, 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 I know some of these included royalty gimmicks, but the point of this tournament is to is to crown your next rising star. Look at these winners starting in 1996. Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H, Ken Shamrock, Billy Gunn, Kurt Angle, Edge, Brock Lesnar. That was from 96 to 2002. Those are all, almost all of those guys, uh, except Shamrock, I think, are in or will be in the Hall of Fame in some form or another. And those were all like up and coming guys. Then in 2015, Bad News Barrett, 2019, Baron Corbin. Two Guys who could have been up and coming at the time, but got saddled with King gimmicks that eventually they only became King gimmicks and nothing ever changed from that. And and, and so give this highlight the up and coming stars and treat them like a big deal. Don't treat them like a joke with these King gimmicks and stuff like that. So I'm begging that they don't do that. But King of the Ring is a layup. Something that, yes, they should do every single year. Tournaments are the easiest storytelling things you can come up with. You don't even need to come up with a story. Like, it's just, we want to win. And you and can we create win stories coming out of the tournament. Yes. One person beats another, yes. that person ultimately loses. Then they start a feud because he's mad at the heat. Yeah. I mean, it's so easy. Like, like it's it's insane that we've had two of these since 2010. Like, like, absolutely ridiculous. It's It's the easiest thing to help create something. Really excited that they're doing it. Really excited to see who's in it. Please don't mess it up. Now, the show was supposed to end here, but there was a massive lack of meat-on-meat meat action on today's show. I show meat on my meat, man. Gently now. You're good, you're good Gen- please, gently, yeah, yeah. gently. Amen. So before we get out of here, I do have something that everyone needs to know about our favorite man, Biggie, and his favorite slogan. Big meaty man slapping meat. Because Biggie was asked in a recent interview whether he is trying to create big, meaty men slapping meat merchandise. And this is what he said. He said, we need to, we need to. I tried to. Legal would not clear it. So we're working on something else. But sometimes you just got to push those things through barriers. So we'll see. I hope so. Let's hope that that big, meaty merchandise gets created because there will be at least a couple of people purchasing it and hey who knows maybe we can work something out with wwe where we do some giveaways i don't know um i think we need the meat slapping merchandise though i do we need it we need we need that meat on that meat uh i I hope it gets i hope it gets uh cleared because here we're not really about water you know we're not really about bread we're all about the meat Yes, yes, we know, especially now on Raw. There's a lot of beef over on Raw. All right, that is it for today's show. We went long. I, th- I thank you all for sticking with us. I knew it was going to be a long show with the draft analysis. That's how these things go. Do not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate it. We will be back Thursday this week, of course, talking NXT and AEW. And then we will return, of course, next week.
Tuesday, talking WWE, SmackDown, and Raw, still with the older rosters, but the start of King of the Ring and the Queen's Crown Tournament, so that should be pretty exciting. That's it for today. For Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein, and I am leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.